There are many ways that I can greet you this morning. Let me greet you in the greeting that changed the history of mankind. You've said it many times. This is a special greeting. And you respond back, please, okay? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen Amen. Do you really believe that deep down in your heart, church, that Christ is risen? That changes everything. The way you conduct your life, what you believe, how you function, it changes everything, alters history. And today we are going to examine that today. Why do you need the Resurrection Sunday, church? Have you thought about that? One of the points and reason I would like to argue is that resurrection is fulfillment. It's fulfillment of one of your most innate human instinctive desire for restoration and renewal. Deep down, you want to be well. You want to be renewed and you want to be restored. Earlier this year, I think it was about at the end of January, I came across this article written by Bloomberg, the financial magazine, a Bloomberg article wrote about this centi-millionaire uh, tech mogul named Brian Johnson. A 45-years-old guy tried to reverse his age. Uh, the title of the article goes, How to be 18 years old again for only $2 million per year. <laughs> that's a very audacious attempt. What he does, he hired a team of 30 doctors who would monitor his pulse, heartbeat, blood, exercise, diet, nutrition, everything every day in order to reverse his aging. As I was reading that, well, that's a little too much. <laughs> 45 year olds is not that old. Live with it. Uh, yeah, I laughed and you laughed. I mean, $2 million, I guess you can hire 30 doctors all you want. But deep down, as I was laughing about that, as I was thinking about that, deep down, we want that, maybe not to that extreme. Maybe some of you who are gathered here, why do you love those TV channels that talk about a renovation of the house that brings the beauty back like a new again? There's something that provokes within you. It's like, I love that. Oh, it's beautiful once again. Or some of the youngsters who have gathered here, myself included, or you as well. <laughs> There's this YouTube channel that does a lot of restoration thing. Like they bring this old rustic like knife that's nothing and they polish it, remove it, whether it be old Nintendo or just name it things and they bring it to brand new and I'm like, whoa. Or like cleaning dirty car. There's a nasty car. They clean it and bring out the full restoration. Something that makes me go, wow, this is really cool. Because deep down, uh, to that superficial degree, to the fundamental degree, uh, perhaps you're facing your mortality. Or perhaps you have been facing the deep agony of your soul that you don't even recognize yourself anymore. I just want to be well and renewed. That's often where we find ourselves in. And resurrection is the fulfillment of your desire for restoration and renewal. How do I know that? Jesus is risen, and when he comes back once again in Revelation 21, he says, I am making all things new. Isn't that going to be great when he makes all things new? 
And you will see that this Resurrection Sunday is not only the greatest foreshadow, anticipation of what is to come, but it is also very assurance that your desire for restoration and renewal will be fulfilled one day. So in other words, that future reality is not only what you expect about the future, but as one author puts it, it is the borrowed strength from the future to your present. Because you believe in resurrection and what is to come, the way you live today not just thinking about the future, the way you live today is fundamentally changed. That's what we will see today. And you will see that through the eyes of Mary and disciples and Thomas in this text, as risen Jesus appears to these three individuals and groups, their lives are fundamentally changed from the core of who they are. So three things, how does the resurrection reality, how does the appearance of Jesus, how does the encounter of the risen Savior Jesus change us? Three things, it will change our hearts, our perspective of life, and our priorities. Let's see one by one together. So first, the encounters of risen Jesus comforts our troubled hearts. Look, verse 11, what is happening in this text? I've got a bunch of the text here, so it would be a great idea to have it. Now, Mary stood outside of the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And verse 13, they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. Now, who is this Mary? This is Mary Magdalene who witnessed the power of Jesus firsthand. She was possessed by seven demons, gospel chapters record, and Jesus cast out the demon. She first experienced the very power of Jesus that changed her life. And because she loves the Lord, she came to see Jesus to anoint his body. But he's not there. He's not there. She said, I don't know where they have put him. Perhaps she was thinking, maybe Joseph of Arimathea took the body away for proper burial. Or maybe she's thinking, oh, those Roman soldiers who violently killed Jesus, maybe is doing something with his body. I'm traumatized. Her grief, based on her love, is turning into anxiousness, if not panic. I was like, I don't know where they have put my Lord because she loves him. She cares deeply for him. Yet, even to Mary, who loved Jesus, resurrection is not a possibility in in her mind. In the end, she came to look for a dead body, not a living body. And this is not only the Mary. Look, verse 19. Disciples also, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Now, at least Mary were grieving Anxious because I don't know what they've done to my Lord. At least her grief, fear, anxiousness were based on her love for the Lord. What about disciples? They're just fearing their lives. They locked themselves in for the fear of Jewish leaders. They were like, oh man, my captain is dead. Our movement is killed now. What about me? They're going to come after me? What do we learn from these two observations? Neither of them. Even though Jesus is foretold many times he's going to conquer the death and rise again, to neither of them, resurrection is a possibility. What do you learn from here? 
without resurrection reality, your fear and anxiousness, grief without hope, is human default. Do you realize that? You think, oh, that's for Mary and disciples. Us too. Jesus has told us he was going to rise again. He's risen. We know he's risen. But when you really believe that, functionally believe, live as if there's no resurrection, no life that is come, when you cannot say it will be well functionally, of course it is not well today. Because all you see is present reality. Welsh poet Dylan Thomas grew up in Christian household, in Anglican household, but he had never really trusted Jesus and reject Christianity. And of course, he says in his one of famous poem, do not go gentle into the night. Raise, raise against the dying of light. When you don't believe there is future that is to come, when you don't believe that your innate desire for restoration, renewal, is not a possibility, of course human default to the fear, grief without hope, anxiousness, race. That is our default without realizing the resurrection reality. So how does Jesus speak to our troubled heart? We know it, but we don't live like we know the resurrection reality. Because, oh, it is not well with me. What does Jesus comfort our heart? First of all, how do you experience the resurrection reality? You have to know him personally. You have to be known by him. What do I mean by that? When you look at here, verse 13, verse 15, verse 16 in Mary's account, people call her three times. She doesn't realize who she's talking to. Verse 13, they call her. Verse 15, Jesus calls her. She doesn't get it. But verse 16, when Jesus calls her by her personal name, all of a sudden her eyes are opened. Rabboni, my teacher. And then she later goes out, I have seen the Lord. Unless you know Jesus personally, you will only know, you'll only see without really seeing. Do you see that Mary saw Jesus? She was engaging with Jesus the whole time, but she doesn't see him until the Jesus calls her by her name. Do you know him personally? And at this point, church, it's very easy to think, oh, Jane is talking about those nominal Christians who are here every Christmas and Easter only. Yeah, sure. But I am also speaking to you. We are no different than Mary and disciples. Jesus has told Mary and disciples that he was going to rise and he's risen. They don't get it. We've seen it, we've heard it, we still don't get it. We don't live as if restoration, renewal is the reality, not only for future, but it changes fundamentally the way we live today. Do you know him functionally and personally today? Are you known by him? Now, if you have been following the Lord for a while, and if there's no comfort in your troubled heart, Jesus has words for you. Continue to look. First, you have to know him, know him by him personally. Second, you have to understand his presence with you right now at this moment. What do I mean by that? Every time Jesus appears, look, verse 19, 20. And let, me, let me read it together. Verse 19, look with me. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 20. And he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. 26, once again, Jesus appears. Thomas says, peace be with you. What is this peace be with you thing all about? 
Yes, in one sense, it's a greeting. It's a customary greeting. Peace be with you. On the other side, it's a command. Take heart. But it being more than greeting and command, I heard Counselor Ed Welch once talking, this is more than that, it's a comfort. Meaning when you tell your children, hey, don't worry about it, sweetie. It's going to be okay. Are you telling them, command, don't you dare to worry about it. Obey, don't think about it. Don't you know? That's not what you're trying to say. You tell yourself, don't worry about it, it's okay. You're trying to comfort them. Sweetie, everything's going to be okay because I'm present with you. To this troubled heart, they are caught in fear, caught in skepticism. Jesus appears and says, peace be with you. So let me ask you, is peace within you today? I'm going to let the awkward silence continue. Is there peace within you? I mean, you look great, bright color on Easter Sunday, but how's your inner state? Is there really peace in you, or are you grief or sorrowful without any hope? Are you fearful? What is going on inside of you? To those weary and troubled heart, Jesus appears and restores you. Peace be with you. Do you know him? Do you experience this resurrection reality? This is what Jesus does. I don't know how you're struggling today, perhaps. Perhaps you're struggling like Mary. Something you loved so much has been taken away from you. Whether it be death of love, death of your dreams and desires and aspirations, Maybe you're witnessing death of yourself every day. You see your body aching and you're grieving. You don't know what to do with yourself. Perhaps you are like disciples in this text. You are fearful because of all the circumstances. God, I don't know what's going to happen in my uncertain future now. How is my future? I don't know. I'm fearful about my job security. I'm fearful about my family conflicts. I am fearful about financial status. Is there going to be enough? Or perhaps some of you, Jesus says, do you see Jesus restoring each one of them here? We don't get to see it, but if you look at how John ends in 21, Jesus appears to Peter as well, who's caught in his failure, guilt-driven heart. He dramatically failed Jesus three times. You will deny me three times. And denied and curses out. I don't know him. Now Jesus appears to restore Peter. Perhaps some of you, your heart's dead. You are just like, God, I am still struggling with this same thing. I've struggled last night, yesterday, last week, last year. Decades I'm struggling with this same sin. Heavy laden guilt. Jesus comes to you and restores you. Do you encounter the risen Savior? Here, Jesus appears to Mary's grieving heart and restores her, calls her by name. Jesus appears to the disciple fearful hearts and tells them, peace be with you. Jesus appears to Peter, guilt-driven heart, and asks, do you love me? As he failed three times, Jesus asked that three times. Encounter of the risen Savior, Jesus, comforts your troubled heart. Do you know our risen Savior, Jesus, church today? Uh, think with me. Aren't you glad that you are not Jesus? I am not Jesus. Do you know what I mean by that? I thought about that. 
I, that's hypothetical to say I was innocently killed and somehow I was raised in three days. When I appeared to marry disciple all the other people, I, I'll be like, how are you? Are you okay? How's your soul? Peace be with you. I'll be like, listen, I was innocent after all, right? Look at me. I'll be busy defending myself, my innocence. Is there any sign of it? The greatest injustice was done to Jesus. Your marriage traumatized not knowing where Jesus is. Jesus experienced the cosmic trauma just the three days ago at the cross. Your disciples are fearing their life. Jesus feared for his eternal life as he descended into hell in three days ago for our sins. But there's no sign of Jesus thinking about himself but Mary, disciples, Thomas, Peter, Jesus encounters the risen Savior, comforts our troubled heart. Do you know him? That because you know the resurrection reality, a foreshadow and assurance of what is to come, it changes the way you live today. Because it will be well, it is well. Today you borrow strength from future reality. Fyodor Dostoevsky is probably one of the greatest greatest novelist, one of the greatest literary figure of all time, just certainly in 19th centuries. And one of his most famous works, The Brothers of Karamazov, in the book, he talks a lot about the themes of God, kind of questions of existential matters, purpose of life. And he kind of tells one day it will all be well. Listen to what it says. It really comforts my heart every time I read this line. That's in his novel. It's Russian literature. I believe like a child that suffering will be healed and made up for. That all the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful mirage. That in the world's finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, Something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts. Oh, the troubled heart and soul, look to Jesus who is risen from the dead. There you will find your consolation, hope, and comfort in experiencing and knowing our risen Savior, Jesus. Secondly, how does the resurrection of Jesus change us? Not only it comforts our troubled heart, but it also transforms our perspective of life. What do I mean by that? Sure, here, Mary comes to look for Jesus, but it wasn't until that Jesus calls her by her name that Mary really begins to see. Here, in the end, Jesus is the one who initiates his relationship to disciples. He's the one that appears to disciples while they are fearful. In the end, it was Jesus who goes to Thomas. It is Jesus who initiates his love to Peter, appears to them each time. That is, in the end, the essence of the gospel, what he has done, not what we have done. I don't know anyone who articulated this better than well, another Welsh guy today, the Welsh preacher named David Martin Lloyd-Jones, who ministered in Westminster Chapel, England. He says that the gospel is good news, not a good advice. This word good news, euangelion, is actually a war term. What happens is when the enemy invades the territory, king will send the troops to the border to fight off the enemy. If the war is victorious, king will send a messenger who delivers the message to the civilians who live in city. Hey, we have triumphed. 
We are victorious. You got nothing to worry, fearful. It will deliver good news that changes the way we live. We no longer have to be fearful of our destiny. However, if the battle is losing, if the border is breached, the king will not send a messenger. Instead, the king will send a war advisor. Citizens, border has been breached. You might die tonight. Arm yourselves. Both will galvanize into action, right? One will galvanize in joy and gratitude. We have been triumphed. Another one, okay, I might die. Okay, I might fight for myself. I must prove myself. I must be victorious. I must do something in order to achieve my redemption today. Otherwise, I'll die. So many of us live as if God has sent us war advisor, not a messenger of good news. Uh, let's think about the function. How does this change our lives fundamentally? Jesus' initiation of a restoration of Mary, disciple, Thomas, Peter. Jesus' initiation of his love on the cross. How does that change? If it's what he has done, not what we've done or we must do. I mean, think about that. Just functionally. Think about that your workplace. Let's say, hypothetical speaking, there's guy number A, guy number B. Guy number A, guy number one, guy number two. <laughs> Let's say this person, his motivation is fear. Okay, I might lose my job. I must work really hard. I don't know whether I like it or not, but I must work hard because I'm so fearful. I'm afraid to let me let go of my financial worries. On the other side, this guy works out of joy and gratitude. I am so grateful for what I get to do. I love it. Externally, initially, both will work the same. Both will work really hard, right? Externally, we'll look the same because one out of fear, one out of gratitude, they'll work really hard. But in a long run, this will lead to burnout, cynicism, insecurity, bitterness, and resentment, while this one is continually be life-giving, not only to himself, but to people around them. Do you see that it's a heaven and earth difference? God has sent us good news, the messenger who proclaims that we have been victorious. It is no longer I who achieve but it is what God has done. It is what Jesus has done that paid our sin. It is Jesus who appears to Mary, disciple, and Thomas, Peter to restore them. It's his work. Quite frankly, with all respect to all the religions who have gathered here on this Resurrection Sunday, in the end, you can be whatever you want, really. If you want to be atheist, you can, if you really want to be. You can be Buddhist if you want to believe it. You can, you're capable of believing that. You are capable, you are able to be Hindu if you want. But Christian, you cannot be Christian unless you are converted, unless something was done to you. Do you believe that? Because it's not you who fight the battle. It's God who fought the cosmic battle on the cross for our sins. Now, I know some of you might be like, that's offensive, Jin. There's nothing I can do. I'm here in the end to hear about God's word. And you said nothing I can do about my salvation. It's all up to God. What are you telling me today then? Hang tight with me. Jesus says word for you as well. Now, how do you come to know him? If you just don't know, you're, you don't even know where you are at. You have so many questions. Well, look no further than look verse 24. They're the same person. I hope you understand Thomas better. Thomas gets such a bad reputation in Christian circle, doubting Thomas. But I think he's a man of integrity. I mean, hope you get to see him in new light today. Because nobody really believed the resurrection as a possibility. Thomas, at least, is honest about it. Look, verse 24. He is asking an honest question. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in the hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. 
What does Jesus say to Thomas? Verse 27, put your finger here. See my hand. Put it into my side. And Thomas immediately proclaims in verse 28, my Lord and my God. Shelton, come to Jesus if you have a question. You're like, I don't know whether this is the real deal or not. I want to experience Jesus. I want to experience his comfort. How do I get a new perspective? How does Jesus open my eyes? Come and see it for yourself. Jesus invites you to come today. The fact that you are here is not an accident. But as you come, there's a character in the Bible. Don't come like Pharisees. They question Jesus just to question Jesus. But question him to believe. That's what Jesus invites you to come. John doesn't record. I don't know what John, I'm, Thomas exactly did. Jesus says, see me, touch me. At some point, Thomas drops all condition. Jesus says, see me and touch me. He said, Thomas, okay, so Jesus, let me inspect all your body, each bone. No, he drops all if only what if. I don't know whether he actually touched him or not. He immediately proclaims, my Lord and my God. Because he's like, Jesus, I come to see you. And Jesus opened his arm, come and see me for yourself. For those of you, perhaps you're like, Jin, I want to see Jesus. I want to experience Jesus. Do you know what's hardest thing about seeing Jesus? You have complete work that work exactly opposite of seeing Jesus. It's called seeing yourself. At some point, you need to cease to see yourself only. What do I mean by that? Do you notice every time somebody's changed because, because they take eyes off of themselves and see Jesus? Look, verse 18. Mary Magdalene went to the disciple with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them. Verse 20. And he said, it's now disciple. He showed them his hand and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Verse 24 and 25. We just read it. But he said, unless I see the nail marks and hand. Jesus shows and Thomas says, my Lord and my God. When Mary was just looking at herself, oh, my love has been taken away. I don't know. There's no hope within me. When disciples were seeing themselves, I'm fearing for my life, my uncertain future, my life. When Thomas was seeing just himself, eh, I'm doubtful. I don't know about that. But when they begin to see Jesus, they are fundamentally changed. Tell them, yes, it's good to be introspective. I was walking through the meditations on the cross. In the middle of it, I kind of stopped. I realized that, yes, it should be that way, but in the middle of it, I realized I'm not meditating on the cross. I'm meditating on me. Every section I was walking, I'm like, my sin, my sin, my sin. And I completely forgot about the love of Jesus that covered my sin. I I forgot to meditate on the cross that covered my sin in the end. It's good to look at yourself, but at some point, you need to turn your eyes upon Jesus. Church, when you just see yourself 24-7, of course you're rage against dying light. When you just see yourself, of course you'll be grieving all the time. See Jesus for who he is, who has arms wide open. Come and touch and feel yourself. How do I know that these people are changed? We give bad rep for Thomas. But Thomas is the one, historians tell us, that who took this very message of the gospel, I have seen the Lord, and he immediately took off to India became the proclaimer of good news Jesus and died a death as a martyr. He's like, I want to see it for myself. It's okay to ask a question. Come to Jesus with your skepticism and doubt. He's ready to welcome you and ready to be amazed. Be willing to see what Jesus has to offer to you. Do you see that? 
The resurrection reality comforts our troubled heart. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us, transforms our perspective. It is no longer I who live, but it's God who opens my eyes. As you come to Jesus, one caveat, make sure to have both points together. What do I mean by that? If you just come to Jesus for consolation and comfort without realizing resurrection, you get neither of it. The consolation and comfort come as a result of Jesus' resurrection because we know that the resurrection reality is our reality that is to come. So come to Jesus to examine him and to know him personally for resurrection. Don't look for him for just consolation. If you aim for the resurrection, you will get both. As you get comforted by Jesus, you have conquered the death. I have nothing to fear. Lastly, third, The encounters of risen Jesus demands and commands a new priority. Let me say it one more time. The encounters of risen Jesus not only comforts our troubled heart, not only transforms our perspective of life, but it also commands a new priority. What do I mean by that? Here, I don't know whether you noticed this fascinating juxtaposition. When you looked at Thomas' account, Jesus said, come and touch me and feel me for yourself. Same thing happens in verse 17. Mary comes to see Jesus. While Thomas comes to Jesus, Jesus said, touch me. When Mary comes to Jesus, Jesus said, don't touch me. Don't cling unto me. Do you see that in verse 17 and 18? Jesus said, don't cling unto me. What is going on? Is Jesus here being like, discriminating against woman? Is Jesus being misogynistic? Well, I don't want to get any falsely accused or what? What is, or Jesus actually don't actually love Mary? It cannot possibly be that's the case. Why? Because for this reason, at the time of Roman Empire, woman's opinion were considered as invalid. Whatever woman have seen or heard was considered as void. So even if woman have seen something, when you go to court, it was not counted as a valid opinion. There was no such thing as woman's right. Then why in the world the gospel writers would write woman, three women as the first person who witnessed the resurrection of Christ? That's the most history-altering event. That shows you one of the cases for Christianity that unless that's just how it happened, gospel writers have no reason to write that in. If you were to make up a story, you would probably put three most respectable men who witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. But Jesus entrusted this life-altering message to three women whose opinion was not valid at the time. Why? Because Jesus knew Mary's devotion and love for the Lord. While all the disciples fled, while people are doubting and skeptical about fearing for their own life, Mary comes, where is my love? And now, Mary, I know you love me. Now, don't hoard my message. Don't cling on to me, but go. Share the good news with the others. Share that I am risen. Share that I'm ascending to Father. Share what you have seen and heard. Shelton, come and taste for yourself. When you can truly say, I have seen the Lord like Mary, now he's commanding you, giving you new priority of life. No longer life is yours. No longer you get to live just for money, financial status. No longer you get to live for your fulfillment of your own ambition. But he commands and demands a new priority of your life. Do you really know him? Or do you get to hoard the message as like, oh, I know the Lord, so let me live my life. No. He demands my life and my all for his glory. And he commands that to Mary. 
the one who loved Jesus. The resurrection reality, when you encounter truly risen Jesus in a functional way, it comforts our troubled heart because that is the greatest foreshadow and assurance of our innate desire for restoration and renewal. And Jesus calls you, if you are not sure, come, see and touch him for yourself. But as you come, ready to be amazed, ready to be changed, see him for yourself. And for those of you who are troubled and weary, peace be with you, Jesus says. He can say that as a resurrected Savior. Why is there no peace within your church? Why are you cast down today? Do you really believe the resurrection reality as functional reality that operates in your life active? If you do, if you really see the Lord, stop seeing yourself. See the Lord and be amazed. And now is the time to go. Don't hold the message. I don't think I can say any better than perhaps Elizabeth Elliot. Many of you know who she is. She's author, prolific writer, theologian, professor. But probably she's most well-known as a first wife, not first wife, the wife of her first husband, Jim Elliot, who died mercilessly by, as he was trying to evangelize the tribe of Ecuador, he was mercilessly killed. They could have fought back, but they didn't. But Elizabeth Elliot, after that, goes back to the tribes, and she gives her life in prolific way, serving the Lord and proclaiming the good news. I got to hear her message that she gave in 1976 at Urbana, which is Missions Conference. And what she had to say summarized basically everything that we were trying to say that. It's a rather lengthy quote, what Elizabeth Elliot said to these people. But I hope you hear her charge or what she said in her message to all those people who are caring about the mission of gospel going. In her message titled, The Glory of God's Will, she says this. Paul told us this, he said, We have shared his death. We are weapons of good for his own purposes. I say to you, for his sake, first of all, obey him. For your own sake, if you lose your life, remember he promised you to find it. There's a spiritual principle here. The same one that went into operation when Jesus went to the cross. The offering up of ourselves our bodies, our wills, our plan, our deepest heart's desire to God is the laying down of our lives for the life of the world. That is the mystery of sacrifice. There is no calculating where it will end. She continues, this is what I mean by transformation. The bitter water, the wilderness, the storm, the cross, are changed to sweetness, peace, and life out of death. God will transform all loss into gain, all shadow into radiance. I know he wants to give you beauty for ashes. He's given me the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Jim Elliot and his four companions believed that the world passes away and the lost thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Shelton, have you seen the Lord? Really? 
Do you see the risen Savior, Jesus? He comforts your troubled heart. It's the proof that the bitter water, the wilderness, were transformed into sweetness, all shadow into radiance. Your ache, the death of your dreams and desire today, all troubled soul, see Jesus. The risen Jesus transforms our perspective and demands a new priority, offering of ourselves, our wills, our plan, our deepest desires and ambition laid it down at the foot of the cross. Why can we do that today? Because Jesus went to the cross. He laid himself down, and he did not remain dead. He has been victorious. He's risen from the dead for you so that we no longer have to live in fear. God did not send a war advisor to us. Fear for your life. Live up to me. God sent a messenger who declared to us, it is finished. We have been victorious. No longer you are fighting your battle alone. I am with you. Peace be with you. If you have seen the Lord today, church, will you lay yourself down and go? Proclaim to others that I have seen the Lord. Will you join me in the journey? Move from question to quest. Join in the faith journey of Jesus who demands a new priority of our life. He can do that because he laid it all for us at the cross of Jesus Christ. So come to him, and as you come to him, be ready to go. Let's pray together. God, risen Jesus, the appearance of your changed Mary, disciples, Thomas, Peters. I don't know what each of them were thinking or feeling. We see the glimpse of it. And I don't know what all of us who are gathered here are experiencing today. Some of them maybe like Peter, guilt-driven heart. Some of them are like disciples, fearful of uncertain future, career, safety. Some of them, what they love the most dearly has been just pulled it away. Like Mary, oh, the troubled heart, come to Jesus just as you are. God, see us just as we are. Know us personally. And God, we have questions. We have doubt. We come to you just as we are with our questions. You invite us to come. So God, will you open their eyes? that allow them to proclaim, my Lord, my God. I have been making my career, my Lord and my God. I have been making my money, my Lord and my God. I have been making my children's well-being, my future status as my Lord, my God. But now I laid it all down and say, my Lord and my God. I pray that the miracle will take place in our hearts. And Lord, you tell us to not hoard this message, but to go tell others that you are risen Savior. Help us to be a joyful witness of you. We have seen the Lord. May that be our testimony of our lives. Lord, we are so thankful that you have conquered the death. Because of that, we hope. May that be our present strength for our troubled heart. In your precious name we pray. Amen.